Hi, this is Pastor Matt, and I want to welcome you to our Blue Oaks Church podcast. At the end of this episode, feel free to download our Blue Oaks Church app, where you'll be able to access resources, events, and ways to get connected at Blue Oaks and in the community. The app is the easiest way to share this content with a friend, and it's the easiest way to keep up with everything going on around Blue Oaks. Most importantly, though, I just hope that you enjoy this episode and it inspires Hey, good morning. I had a conversation with a guy recently who told me he said the words, I love you, to that special someone uh, for the very first time. Uh, he shared the story about how it happened and when it happened, and I mean, he just couldn't stop talking about it. He threw pictures. He said, you know, this is where I was standing, and this is where she was standing, and I said, I love you, and she said, I love you back, and I didn't know that she loved me before that. I thought she might, but I didn't know because she's so beautiful and so smart. She's so out of my league. I didn't know she loved me, but then she said it, and now I know she's the one. God made us for each other, and we just, just kept saying it. I love you over and over and over again. And then we had to leave, and so I got in my car, and I called her, and I started saying it all over again. I love you. I love you. Uh, Can you believe two people would just babble that way like a couple of idiots? And I said, well, based on what I've heard so far, yeah. Um, The experience of falling in love is just so powerful. And when it happens, I mean, you just can't stop thinking about that person you love. Um, We talked last week about words, you know, when you fall in love and have that experience, all you can do is just speak words of affirmation to each other. There's actually an entire book of the Old Testament called the Song of Solomon, or Song of Songs. It's about this experience, and I just want to read to you part of it. Uh, How how beautiful you are, my darling. Oh, how beautiful. Your eyes behind... Uh, behind your veils are uh, behind your veil are doves. Your hair is like a flock of goats descending from the hills of Gilead. Your teeth are like a flock of sheep just shorn, coming up from its from the washing. Each has its twin. None is none of them is alone. Your dental hygiene is fabulous. Uh, your lips are like a scarlet ribbon. Your mouth is lovely. Your temples behind your veil are like the halves of a pomegranate. Uh, your neck is like the Tower of David, built with courses of stone. On it hang a thousand shields, all of them shields of warriors. Your breasts are like two fawns, and I'll just stop right there because it gets kind of weird after that. <laughs> but then he ends with, uh, you, uh, you are altogether beautiful, my darling. There is no flaw in you. And verse 7 is a classic expression of uh, someone who has just fallen in love. There is no flaw. Now, I know theoretically, like, you're not perfect. The fact that you've had three jobs in the last year might not just be your love of variety, but the way my pulse races, the way my heart beats, the way my mind sings overrides my normal thought patterns, and I find it inconceivable that we could ever fail to make each other happy. The feeling of falling in love is so powerful. There's another story in the Old Testament of a man named Jacob who fell in love with a woman named Rachel, and he said to her dad, "Um, I'll work for you for seven years, um, and then if I can marry your daughter Rachel. So that's what Jacob said, you have to work for me seven years, and then you can marry my daughter Rachel. And not only did Jacob agree to that, the text says, so Jacob served seven years to get Rachel, but they seemed like only a few days to him because of his love for her. How many of you guys have experienced love like that? 
Guys, put up your hands. Come on, seriously. Like you guys are a remedial group here. It doesn't cost you anything. <clears throat> it's interesting when you look at uh, biblical commands about what love does, uh, this agape love that we talked about last week, and see how fast the person who has fallen in love just jumps to do those things for the ones that they've fallen in love with. Uh, the writer of Scripture says, comfort one another. Oh man, I love to do that. Honor one another above yourselves. Open doors, I mean, I do that all the time. Don't complain about one another. Wouldn't dream of it. Serve one another. I mean, I lie awake at night trying to figure out ways to serve her. Forgive one another. There's nothing to forgive. Accept one another. I mean, I've never felt uh, so accepted. Be devoted to one another in love. Hello, I do devotion recreationally. I greet one another with a holy kiss. I'm not even sure what that means, but I'd be glad to give it a try. The condition of falling in love is often so powerful. It seems as though my old egocentric, self-centered, self-preoccupied, self-serving self has died. And I've just become like this noble person, like this Mother Teresa of love. Like, not my will, but just whatever you will is what I want to do. And of course, a love like that doesn't last. It just doesn't work that way. It turns out falling in love doesn't actually save you from sin. Jesus only is the only one who saves you from sin. Gary Chapman, the guy who wrote the five love languages, writes that this kind of falling in love, this phase, typically lasts about two years. That temporary, that temporary emotional obsession is not uh, able to create a permanent uh, character transformation in people. Sooner or later, every couple has to face the real world, where someone has left the toilet seat up or someone put the toilet paper on the wrong way, where someone deliberately put the milk carton back in the refrigerator with just like a half a swallow of milk in it because they're too lazy to take it out to the recycling bin. It turns out there's a major difference between falling in love and growing in love. Actually, the writers of Scripture never command anyone to fall in love. Uh, that's a myth in our day. And we see that in romantic com comedies like all over the place, that falling in love is like salvation. And that if you've not had that experience of falling in love, you've missed out on something essential to humanity. But the writers of Scripture never talk about love that way. They never command anyone to fall in love. They talk about growing in love. The Apostle Paul writes to the church at Ephesus, Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children. And walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us. The writer of Scripture says, We love because he first loved us and gave himself up as a sac uh, as for us as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. Now, Paul says in another place, the entire law, uh, people get confused about like what all of the laws in the Old Testament mean. And they I think they're just rules of severity or something. No, they're not. They're all pointing to one thing. The whole law, rightly understood, points to one truth. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. I would say Jesus, above everyone, understood God's law correctly. And he calls people to love. This kind of love that's so powerful, his followers had to find a, a new word to try to express it. It's to will and to act for the good of everyone 
I come in contact with. It's just, it's, way, it's a way of life. It's a condition of being that involves my whole self. It involves my emotions, although it's not primarily a feeling. It involves my will, although it's not simp- uh, something I simply choose to do. Uh, it's not just delighting in something or wanting something. Uh, it's a way of life. And as a church, that's what we're about. Like, we're not about getting smarter. We're not about a firm and right doctrine. We're not about uh, being right and other people being wrong. We're not about being exclusive. We are simply about love. That's what we're about. And we want to get better at loving. The kind of love that Jesus uh, taught about and lived out. And we read from 1 Corinthians 13 last week, uh, the great chapter Paul wrote. Again, I want to encourage everyone here just to kind of live in that passage uh, throughout this series. And Paul says these amazing words about love. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains, but I do not have love, I'm nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Everything minus love equals nothing. Our goal is to produce a community of extraordinarily loving people who are really the greatest among us. And we're using the book, The Five Love Languages, as a template for this series. And for some people, uh, you most naturally receive love through words of affirmation. Uh, For some, it's through quality time. Uh, For some, it's really gifts that make your heart skip. Uh, For some, it's acts of service. And for some, it is physical touch. And the premise of this book is don't assume that what makes me feel loved is what will make you feel loved because we all have different ways that we like to give and receive love. Uh, Last week, we talked about how some people experience love best through words of affirmation. And I hope you practiced using words of affirmation to express love last week. Uh, I also hope that you used some, some humble words. Maybe you needed to say, you know, I'm sorry, or will you forgive me uh, to speak words of love? And I imagine for some of you, speaking words of love uh, came rather easily, and for others, it was probably more of a stretch. Well, this week, we turn to a different love language, and I want to say this at the beginning. Uh, I think a failure to pay attention to the love language we're talking about today uh, probably kills more marriages, uh, probably damages more families, and stagnates more friendships than any other of the love languages. I would say it's the biggest challenge in our day, and it's the language of quality time. Letting you know that I love you by spending time with you, and not just time, but quality time. Uh, What is quality time? Gary Chapman writes this, by quality time I mean someone, uh, giving someone your undivided presence, your whole self, your attention. I don't mean sitting on the couch watching TV together. I mean, taking a walk or going out to eat or looking at each other and talking. Uh, Have you ever noticed at a restaurant you can tell the difference between a dating couple and a married couple? Uh, The dating couples are looking at each other and talking. The married couples are looking around the restaurant. My daughter thought that was funny. Um, The master of expressing this kind of love through time and attention was Jesus. 
Um, and whatever you think about Jesus, uh, whatever you might believe about his identity or divinity, I mean, if you just go through the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you'll see his ability to be fully present with the people uh, and to give them the gift of his focused attention uh, it just runs through the Gospels. There was a woman at the well in Samaria, and Jesus' disciples were quite sure that he would not want to spend time with her. I mean, she was the wrong gender, she was the wrong ethnicity, she was the wrong religion. Yet Jesus did want to spend time with her. In fact, he has a longer conversation with this woman at the well in Samaria than he does with anyone else in any of the Gospels. And it changed her life. Little children are brought to Jesus. The disciples think Jesus is way too busy for them. Uh, they're way too low on the status totem pole. But Jesus says, not at all. Let the little, one, little ones come to me. Uh, bring them to me. I have time. There's a story about a crooked tax collector no one uh, liked named Zacchaeus. And he climbs up a tree to see Jesus. And Jesus actually goes to him and says, Zacchaeus, come down. And then he doesn't say, you know, go clean up your act. He says, I'm coming to your house. I want to sit at your table. I want to meet your family. Jesus is the master of changing lives through this gift of time. The main relationships where we learn from Jesus about how to master the gift of quality time are in his inner circle, uh, his disciples, what really became kind of his family. And there's a statement used to describe this, and it's so brief that we can miss the depth of it. Uh, it's in the Gospel of Mark, and Mark puts it like this. He appointed 12. So these are his disciples, sometimes called apostles. And then Mark tells us what they're going to do, what their job was, that they might be with him. I mean, it's just that simple. Be with him. When? Well, a lot, actually. When he taught, when he traveled, when he worked, when he ate, when he rested. I mean, when the crowds loved him, uh, when the crowds left him, he was giving them the gift of his time. Imagine receiving that from Jesus. Now, he wasn't always happy with them. They actually made life more difficult uh, for Jesus a lot of times. But here's what you'll never find. You'll never find one of the disciples saying, like, hey, Jesus, why don't you spend quality time with us? Now, I know you're famous with the big crowds coming to see you. You know, everyone's calling you Messiah. You have all these speaking requests and healing campaigns, but we never see you anymore. Like from the beginning, when it was just the 12 of them through the intensity of when uh, whereas there was all this attention on him and all the demands of an entire nation and the weight of the world rested on Jesus' shoulders, his disciples knew one thing. Jesus had time for them. Why? Because he knew the transforming power of time in the lives of his friends. And they mattered more to him than they even knew it was possible. And I want to draw three real simple lessons today from Jesus and his friends from that inner circle. And then I want to put them into practice with you this week. I want to ask everyone here that we would go out and put these into practice this week. And the first lesson is this, love makes my top relationships my top priority. Love understands a real important thing, that love is spelled T-I-M-E. If you want to know where someone's heart goes, just look where their time goes. I mean, time is so precious. Time is such a limited commodity. 
I mean, you can always make more money. You can't make more time. I was talking to a business guy many years ago, a mutual friend of ours set up the meeting, and he's a real successful uh, business guy, but he was losing his family. Uh, he and his wife had three kids, but he was always on the road, and he was barely at home, and when he was at home, he had nothing left in the tank. And his comment about this to me was, I'm doing it all for them. Like, I don't know why they get mad at me. You know, why do they get so frustrated with me? I'm doing it all for them. And I said, really? Because they say they don't really want you to do that. They say they'd rather have more you and less money than more money and less you. And his response was so interesting. What he said was, you know, when I bring home the money, they don't say no. They don't say no to it. When I bring them all the stuff that money can buy, a nice house, nice cars, you know, great clothes, great trips, great toys, they don't say no. They're only too happy to benefit from all the money when I'm making it out there. In other words, they would have to boycott his financial provision. They would have to say no to his stuff before he would stop saying, I'm doing it all for them. And here's the problem. I may gauge my love for you by how I, feel, by, by how I think I feel about you, but you will gauge your love, uh, my love for you by how I spend my time. And because you can't see how I feel, uh, you can't experience my heart. And I have to tell you, I've been with a lot of people uh, on their deathbeds. Uh, I have yet to hear someone say on their deathbed, would you bring out my resume so that I could just read it one last time? Like, let me review my financial portfolio. Let me check out that list of impressive uh, achievements I've accomplished just one last time. They don't care about those things because those things don't last. But love lasts. And that's part of why Paul, in this great chapter, uh, 1 Corinthians 13, 13, talks about love being so infinitely more valuable because love is eternal. What people want around them in their final moments are the ones they've loved. I mean, that's it. And Jesus mastered love. And that means he mastered time. And he wants his friends to do the same. I'll tell you how devoted Jesus was to this. I mean, this is very interesting to me. Uh, Malcolm Gladwell, he writes about uh, what's called the 10,000-hour rule. Um, some of you have probably read about this. It's gotten a lot of attention in the last uh, recent years. Uh, the idea is that when it comes to mastering a demand uh, or a, a task or a demanding task or a skill, uh, we all want instant success. We all want, uh, you know, to master it now. But it really takes time. And if you want to master a skill like, uh, playing the violin or programming a computer or playing chess or doing surgery or hitting a curveball. 10,000 hours tends to be kind of the magic number. Uh, people who become great at doing something, uh, people who become like world-class, have generally put in at least 10,000 hours of devoted training, uh, quite intense training actually. Now, I was thinking about this when it comes to Jesus' commitment to his disciples and what he was doing when he appointed 12 of them to be with him. The writer of, scriptures, uh, writers of Scripture indicate that uh, the disciples were with Jesus for about three years, as best we can tell. And let's assume they were with him for about 10 hours a day. And let's just say for the sake of argument that they had maybe a, a couple days off of their discipleship work. You know, they had sick days or PTO days or something like that. Uh, that would give them about 341 days on the job every year. Three years, 
times 341 days a year times 10 hours a day ends up meaning they would have spent 10,230 hours with Jesus. It's kind of an interesting thing. It takes 10,000 hours to master a skill. What skill were they mastering? Well, when they hit the 10,000-hour mark, right near the end, this is what Jesus told them. A new command I give you, love one another. That's the skill. As I've loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know you are my disciples, if you love one another. Not because you're smart. Not because you're right. Love one another. Blue Oaks, we need to do what Jesus did. We need to make our top relationships our top priority with our time. This means I need to get real honest about my key relationships and where my time is actually going. Uh, this may mean spending some time this week asking those who are your most, most important relationships, are you getting enough of my time? Um, and I know that can be a scary question for a lot of us. In the early days of starting Blue Oaks, I was working a lot more than I probably should have, um, and I had a conversation with my wife about our relationship and uh, where my time was going, and I asked her, you know, how do you feel about our relationship uh, since I'm working so much? And her immediate response was, it's not terrible. Um, that's better than terrible, uh, but it's a, kind of a low bar. Um, Jesus didn't say, by this, everyone will know you are my disciples if your relationships are not terrible. Um, and this is the key challenge with time. And I face this all the time. There's not enough time. There's just not enough time. There's not enough time in your day to satisfy all of the demands that are placed on you with your work and your friends and your family and success and financial needs. Very rarely at work will people come up to you and say, hey, you know what? We've achieved all that we can through you. Uh, we're going to keep you, you know, keep you on staff. We're going to keep paying you, uh, but we don't want you to work so many hours. We'd like you to go home and spend time with your family. Rarely do we hear that at work. There are always more things to be done, always are more emails to be answered, more projects to be finished. Rarely do your kids say, hey, mom, dad, my little emotional tank is full. Like, why don't you just go work on your presentation in the office for the rest of the day? When it comes to time, you're going to disappoint someone. When it comes to time, you are going to disappoint someone. Don't make it be the people that you want to love the most. Don't make it them. You're going to disappoint someone. Don't make it them. Now, for me, this meant Kathy and I would need to sit down with our calendars and actually write down those times that we were committed to being together. It was just that clear. It was just that simple. It also meant that for a period, I would, as I'll do periodically, just need to actually write down the number of hours that I work each day or the number of hours that I was thinking about work, work each day to see that, uh, you know, what I was doing, it was congruent with the life that I actually want to live, where I'm giving the time that I need to the, most, uh, the people that I love the most. When it comes to our time, the challenge is just the same as when it comes to our money, uh, we have to get real concrete. We need to get out of fuzzy. You know, fuzzy is not your friend. Fuzzy will delude you into thinking things are okay when they are not okay. Get real clear on where your time is really going. Write your commitments down on your calendar. Date night, once a week. Or family dinners, five times a week. 
or a weekend away with my adult child or going snowboarding with my daughter or creating a multi-day annual event with lifelong friends from college. Get out of fuzzy with your time. Get really clear. And that leads to a second lesson from Jesus on quality time. Number one, Jesus makes his top relationships his top priority. Number two, find activities to enjoy together with people I love the most. And this is interesting. I had never really thought about this before, but I went through the Gospels this week and looked at some of the activities that Jesus engaged in to be able to spend quality time with his disciples. And there are a ton of them. And I just want to run through a number of them with you. And the first one is going on walks. I mean, all throughout his ministry, from the very first moments when he called his disciples to follow him, they went walking with one another. To the very end of his life after the resurrection, he goes on a seven-mile walk to Emmaus with a couple of his disciples. Taking a walk is so simple. It's very low cost, very low skill. I bet almost everyone in here could do it. Um, It's very high connect, though. Jesus did this so often that one of the ways that the writers of Scripture describe discipleship is walking with Jesus. To love Jesus means to walk with him. Do you want to go on, Do you want to go for a walk? I mean, it's just, it's really that simple. Another activity is eating together. Another very simple activity, low uh, skill, low cost. Jesus did this with a lot of people. He just ate with them. He actually got in trouble a lot uh, for the people that he ate with. One important note here, he usually didn't do this while having the TV on. Uh, one barrier to quality relationships uh, in our day is screens. Have you noticed that? Not long ago uh, at a meal, uh, my body was at the same table with my wife Kathy, but my attention was on my cell phone screen, and I got a text, and it was actually from Kathy, and it read, I'm sitting right here. <laughs> now, screens are good. I mean, some of you design screens and sell screens. Screens are good, but screens are made for man. Man was not made for the screen. Now, is texting together quality time? No, it's not quality time. Is checking email together quality time? No, it's not quality time. Is watching television together? Well, it depends on what you're watching. I mean, the real-life drama of an NBA playoff game where you're experiencing, like, the back and the forth and the highs and the lows, yes, of course that is. Um, If it's The Bachelor, I mean, that's unbiblical. So use discernment and common sense in this. Another activity is learning together. I mean, Jesus would often do this with his disciples. Uh, Something happens in a relationship when we're learning together, when we're experiencing uh, growth together. So you can read, read the same book together with someone that you love and just, you know, get together and talk about it. Another activity is running errands together. Uh, one of the moments that most mark Jesus' community was when he taught them something as unimportant as foot washing, um, which none of them had time to do. Uh, and actually, it wasn't a barrier to kingdom work. It was actually kingdom work because kingdom work is about love. And if I'm too hurried to love, then I'm just too hurried. Because really, life is all about love. Another activity is resting. Uh, Jesus said to his disciples one time when they were so busy and a lot of cool things were happening, let's go away. 
Let's just go to a quiet place and rest. And they did. Another thing, riding in boats. I mean, they would do that a lot. Or mountain climbing. I had never really thought about this before, but we're told about an amazing experience Jesus has with his disciples when they go up to a mountain uh, one time. But I thought about it this week. They actually had to climb up the mountain. Uh, Another thing is praying. Uh, They would do this in amazing ways. They would watch Jesus pray. They went to the temple or the synagogue, as was Jesus' uh, custom. Another thing is fishing. Uh, They do this at the beginning and they do this at the end. Or something you may have never thought about before, uh, car rides. Uh, This is from Acts 2. And they were all together in one accord, the writer of Scripture says. (laughs) All right, I thought that was funny. Do you know what life is? Some of you are going to get that one later. Uh, (laughs) You know, life is a series of experiences. That's what your life is. Um, And we treasure some of them, you know, a a beautiful sunset, a heart, you know, hearing a a wonderful piece of music that moves your heart, maybe accomplishing something, winning a championship, maybe sharing a, a special meal with a special someone. Your life is a series of experiences. And I've talked about this before. Intimacy is really shared experience. That's what intimacy is. It's shared experience. Do you want to go for a walk? Do you want to share a meal? Want to get a cup of coffee? You know, that's why inviting someone to share an experience is kind of a vulnerable thing because it's always an invitation into intimacy. That's part of why love has to offer a shared experience with freedom. When you feel pressure from someone, you know, I'd like to invite you to this restaurant, and so you better like this restaurant. It's one of my favorite restaurants, or I'm going to be disappointed with you. It can create so much damage without even hardly knowing why. Your life is a series of shared experiences. That's how God made you. And intimacy is really a shared experience. That's what it means to have an intimate relationship with God. I invite him into the experience of my life from one moment to the next. You see, the language we often use of having an intimate relationship with God uh, has some real content to it. Think of someone you love. What's What's an activity you can invite them into that will create a shared experience this week? You want to just go take a walk. You want to share a meal together. You want to read this book together. Love does that. It's real simple agape love that wills and acts for the good, especially with the people I love the most. We choose to be with them. All right, number one, love makes your top relationships your top priority. Number two, love finds real simple things to do. Take a walk, have a meal with people we love. And number three, love learns to pay attention. Uh, Love sees and love hears and love cares. Uh, My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen. You know, a very striking dimension of Jesus' capacity to love was his ability to be present with people. I mean, in all the Bible, Jesus never says to someone, "What, what did you say? I didn't really hear you. I was doing, you know, all of my Messiah duties over here. Jesus is constantly aware of how 
people around him are doing. He's constantly aware of how his disciples are doing, where they're tempted, where they're tired, where they're joyful, where they're confused, where they're afraid, or where their faith is small, whatever they're arguing about, what they're getting right. He knows because he sees them and he hears and he cares. How are you doing at that? You know, we're learning how to fill up the love tanks of the people in our lives. And I was thinking, one of the nice things about cars is they actually have gauges on them so that you can actually tell how much gas is in the tank. Um, it's a great feature of the car. Uh, wouldn't it be a great thing if people had little gauges on their foreheads? You know, you could just tell by looking at the gauge how full their love tank is. Well, God didn't put little gauges on our foreheads. And that's not a design flaw. God actually did that on purpose because love learns to read the unseen gauges. What fills that love tank for you might not be what fills that love tank for me. Think of someone in your life and ask them this week, like, where is the gauge? Where is the gauge on a scale from 1 to 10? I mean, get out of fuzzy. How full is your love tank and why? I mean, if you're married, you might want to have a conversation like that with your spouse. And I would say, as a church, we want married couples to have great marriages. Marriages face so much pressure. Get into a small group, you know, together where you can build your relationship together and other people will be there to cheer you on and challenge you and breathe life into your marriage. You may not be married, and I just want you to know, we're so glad you're here. Jesus wants you to have a great life. And we want to be the kind of church that doesn't buy into the myth that falling in love is like the salvation experience for the human race. If you're not married, get into a small group. Like develop relationships with other people who will strengthen you and challenge you in your relationship with God. Think about where you work. Remember, our goal is to grow a community of extraordinarily loving people. Think about some of the people where you work. You know, part of why Jesus taught what he taught, part of why he did what he did, part of why Jesus died on the cross and sent his Holy Spirit is so that through his power, you could fill up where you work with love. Your work ought to be a more loving place just because you are there. Become a student of the people around you, in your office or in the cubicle next to you or in the break area. Like, what's the love language of the people around where you work? This week, you could take time, just have a two-minute conversation with someone or invite someone for coffee or for lunch because you're only guaranteed this day. Uh, that's the thing about love, and that's the thing about time. The psalmist said hundreds and hundreds of years ago, Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations, from everlasting to everlasting you are God. Our days may come to 70 years or 80 if our strength endures, yet they quickly pass and we fly away. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. And the best use of this day is love. And the best day to love is today. Because that's all we have. And it goes by so fast. Teach us to number our days. You can love. And you can stop. And you can notice. And you can care. And Jesus will do this with you. I mean, for love, for his love, his agape love, is the greatest love this world has ever known.
So do this with your time this week, all right? And then we'll come back next week because next week will probably be the most amazing of all the love languages. All right, let's pray as the band comes to lead us in a closing song. God, we're so grateful that we have this moment, that we have this day, that we are here in this moment, that we've had the last uh, 30 minutes or so together. We're so grateful to be alive in this world today. God, would you help us to live out the teachings of Jesus? God, thank you so much that Jesus modeled for us how to spend quality time with the people we love. God, thank you that what he cared about most was loving people and that he's still looking for people who want to be with him and to learn how to love like he loved. God, would you help us to be those people? Would you help us to be the kind of community that has extraordinarily loving people in it and we make an impact in this community that we live in? And we ask this in Jesus' name. Hey, once again, thanks for listening. We hope you found something in this week's message to take away and apply to your life this week. Uh, If you live in the Bay Area, we would love to have you join us for one of our weekend services. We meet on Sunday mornings at 845, 10, and 11.15. Uh, For directions or information about what we have for you or your family, your students, you can go to blueoaks.church or download the app today.